Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur? In today's episode, Jeff sits down with Ricky Steele, Chief Development Officer at Talent360 Solutions and author of The Heart of Networking. He discusses how he approaches building and maintaining relationships in his network. Ricky shares his perspective on effective leadership, why you should devote time and energy to the person standing in front of you, and emphasizes the importance of an integrated approach to life and the need to have a desire to touch people. Whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, you won't want to miss this conversation with one of Atlanta's most influential business leaders. All right. Welcome, everybody. We have Ricky Steele, the author of The Heart of Networking with the third edition recently released and the chief development officer at Talent360 Solutions with us today. Ricky, such a blessing to know you. Thank you so much for sharing your gift of time with us today. Great pleasure to be here, Jeff. I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last several years and spending time uh, at the Atlanta Community Food Bank and doing things together just to make the community better for everyone. Yeah, I have certainly been increased in my uh, in my heart by knowing you and knowing the people that you surround yourself with. Uh, you know, so many years of people telling me the the ultimate rainmaker, Ricky Steele, that I need to get to know. He knows everybody. He's a purpose driven connector of people, and you know, uh, such a respected leader within the Atlanta business community. So it was a blessing to finally get to know you personally, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to talk a little bit more about your book and share that wisdom with our audience, The Heart of Networking, which is about building sustainable business relationships. And I wanted to start just by asking you, could you tell us all a little bit more about how you have prioritized building and maintaining relationships in your network? Because there's really few people that I've seen as intentional as you. And are there any specific strategies that you've used to, to stay connected with that community? Well, Jeff, um, there's a lot of different ways to look at that, of course. Um, a lot of people talk about segmenting their life. I have a work-life balance. I have a home-life balance. I have a faith balance, a community service balance, whatever the case might be. I haven't figured out how that works because I only have one life. All of us only have one life, and we're going to start at some point and end, end at another. So to me, life has got to be, for it to work properly, it's got to be more integrated. I don't have a work life. I can come in in the morning, uh, my home office, and uh, go to work at 6 o'clock sometimes, 6.30 sometimes, and not do anything around work for three or four hours. It's focused on either family issues or community service issues or some project I'm working on. And then at 10 o'clock at night after dinner and after everybody gets kind of settled down, you know, come in here and work on a proposal or whatever the case might be. Same way with um, you know community service and, and the other aspects of it. Um, if at two thirty in the morning uh, somebody needs me, it doesn't really make any difference whether they're family, folks from the faith community, friends, or or colleagues, or even my clients. I need to be there for them when that's important. And I think that comes from um, just understanding in life that the only thing I got to give is myself. I'm not the smartest cat in town. Uh, I don't have the greatest of educations. I certainly don't have the financial wherewithal to solve all the problems in the world, but I got my heart and I got you know, 
my mind, what I have of it. And, uh, and to me, you've got to have a, a desire to, to, to touch people in a way that maybe uh, some people would be uncomfortable in touching them. Uh, some people say that I'm a little bit over the top. I always think that I don't do enough <laughs> from time to time, but, uh, but I do have a tendency to, to push the envelope because I really want an integrated uh, relationship with people that, uh, that can be used to help them uh, get through some of the difficult situations they're going through. And often they help me get through difficult situations that I'm going through. So I'm not sure I'm an expert on talking about the integrated. I'm not, I'm, I'm positive. I'm not an expert in talking about the integrated life, but I have had a great life, 70 years, almost 71 of them and uh, met some extraordinary people have some extraordinary stories and, uh, and some great, great victories, some horrendous defeats, but all in all, I'm good with it. Well, I think you've uh, done a phenomenal job and I do think that you have demonstrated authority in living an integrated life. And you spoke to the point of your heart posture towards others. And I think that is a a testament to who you are. And and yes, absolutely. I don't think over the top, I just think bold and personality and on fire for relationships when I think of you. And so maybe that could be misconstrued in some ways, but uh, I've seen that with you and I know you live out your faith and how you intentionally pour in to others. And, you know, for me, I've probably built some of my strongest relationships serving in the community. And some of that has been with you at the Atlanta Community Food Bank and working alongside like valued, like-minded people. And those relationships are integral to how we do business, how we live out our lives, how we share in our families, how we share in our ups and our downs. And, you know, I'm grateful for people like you that are bold and that are community builders. Uh, And that's how I've always seen you, Ricky. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Yeah. How do you, uh, this, you know, of course, this is a show about leadership. So I I really want to get into how you define effective leadership in the context of networking, since you wrote the book, The Heart of Networking with three editions. Uh, What are some of the characteristics that you believe uh, a person should have to be considered a good networker? You know, I think that uh, you have to understand fully that the most important person you're ever going to meet is the next person standing in front of you. And you've got to devote your time and energy to that individual while you're in front of them. We all go to networking events where you're standing there talking to someone, pouring your heart out, asking a question, offering to help, whatever the case might be. And they're scanning the room to try to find someone more important in their mind or someone that will elevate their career more than they feel like you can or whatever. They're going to never be great networkers, in my opinion. We have two ears and one mouth. We should use them proportionately. So we should be learning a whole lot more. If I leave a business function and I know less about the other people in the room than they know about me, uh, when I walked into the room, then that's been a failed meeting. I have not done what I was called to do and what I wanted to do. And, uh, and various reasons why that happens from time to time. And I'm guilty, but, uh, uh, but my focus is to walk away with two, three times the amount of information about others as I walk away uh, from myself. And the second part is um, uh, making sure that you're not a respecter of any person in the room. I don't care whether it's the person serving the drinks or food or whatever, or the maitre d' at a a restaurant or a hotel, 
or the uh, person putting out the name badges or whatever, or the president of the United States, if he happens to be in the room. Each of those people are equal in God's eyes. So I think they should be in mine as well and everyone else's. But uh, but I try to I try to be there in person uh, and, and focus on wh- wh- what is what is the task at hand. And that's figuring out where I could serve. I was very, very fortunate when I was around 15 years of age. The stories in all three editions of, of The Heart of Networking. But I was on a bus trip and uh, um I won't tell the whole story for the lack of time, but at the end of that bus trip, I knew that God had called me to serve, to be a servant for the rest of my life, regardless of what was on my business card, whether I was president, CEO, or or vice president of this, that, and the other, chief development officer, as I've most often been. And, um, and that's a freeing thing. We all talk about freedom. We need freedom to do this, freedom to do that, freedom to do the other thing. And I heard my dear friend, Bill Bowling, the founder of the Atlanta Community Food Bank, he told me a story sitting around one day having a glass of wine during COVID in our front yards, separated by distance from one another. He told me a story about true freedom. And he, he said that when he knew that God had called him to serve others, it was the most freeing moment of his life because he didn't have a choice. And I feel somewhat like I got the same opportunity uh, back when I was 14 or 15 years old. I knew that my life was to serve regardless of the job. And that freed me up to worry about whether I need to be in this, whether I need to be in that, whether I need to be in the other thing. I wanted to be in a life of service. And I think that may be where true freedom comes when you don't know anything else to do or you don't feel like you could do anything else but that, however you earn your income. I love what you said about where true freedom lies in this opportunity to serve others. And uh, I know that for me, you know, in my 20s, I felt like I was very self-focused. I had no faith. I was focused on just building my career, making money, things like that. And that changed drastically uh, when I came into my faith tradition of Christianity in, in my late 20s and has completely reshaped my life. And I actually defined my own personal purpose as serving others to glorify God and to, to advance his kingdom. And it really has made a fundamental difference in the way that I build relationships. And, and I see that with you. I mean, it's a lifelong commitment. You said this has kind of resonated with you since you were 15. So you've been, you've been at it for a long time. And I think why you have such a strong community. So I think that's a really good lesson to learn, particularly for the next generation of leaders in the workforce who are just getting started because if you can start with that mentality early you can be leaps and bounds beyond uh others in the room that are networking simply for that extractional kind of purpose like you were uh describing before is the dichotomy Um, so that's great ricky thank you um i also wanted to, to get a little bit more into your stories because you are such a great storyteller is there another story from your book, The Heart of Networking, that's been particularly meaningful uh, in terms of how it's impacted your life or the lives of others? My, my books, all, all the books that I've written so far, uh, are nothing but stories. Uh, there may be six sentences that don't correlate with a story, but stories have been how we've communicated truth since the beginning of time, a long time before uh, there was printing presses. Uh, stories have been told. The Bible is a book of stories about faith and and uh, how the creation of the world and et cetera, et cetera. But but 
stories are a tradition and we loved hearing stories. I love hearing stories. So basically the book is a bunch of stories that I've woven together in kind of how I see relationships and life and integration and, and networking is all about. But there's a number of stories that to me, uh, how we impact others' lives or, or how we get our true measure of, you know, you win all the awards in the world and be a guy that's so full of himself. Um, and we can start naming names of politicians and movie stars and this, that, and the other that you don't believe they would, um, uh, that they wouldn't give you the time of day, much less help you in any way, shape or form. Um, and then we know people that are worth bazillions and, and yet they care about others. And we can name people, uh, in the business career, uh, like that. But, but I think about a lot of things that folks don't think about. And again, I don't want to be, this is not about me. It's about networking and relationships, but, um, I've always seen things that maybe other people haven't seen and, and little intimate things about how to, how to relate or how to do something for someone. And again, some people say, gosh, you're over the top. Uh, a person I used to work for used to ask me, um, tell me some stories because when you tell me that, uh, every time your mom and dad come to town, you go to the hotel if they're not staying with you. And sometimes they're coming for something else and they're not staying in our home with us when they were alive. Uh, I would go ahead of time and check them into the hotel and I would bring a bottle of vodka for my dad because he loved the vodka tonic. And I'd bring a white wine as white Zinfandel, which gosh, how could anybody drink that for my mom and flowers for my mom. And I'd have the room set up. So when they arrived, it was a little something extra. That's not a big deal. That's not something to pat yourself on the back for, but he thought that was just amazing. And again, little things like that, but a story from the book, um, I don't have any clients. Um, and, um, I've been very blessed to have a lot of friends and friends of friends who've agreed to do business with me. I think the last time I did a cold call, Bill Clinton was president. Uh, I just don't do them. Uh, it's too hard and it's not that productive. And so my clients are friends who become clients. And there's one particular story in the book. Um, I attend more funerals than many funeral parlor directors. Uh, when someone loses a family member, it is devastating. I've lost, of course, my parents, which you believe you're going to lose. But as you know, I lost a 33-year-old son, and it was devastating. It still is devastating almost six years later. Uh, the people that reached out to me and loved on me and prayed with me and everything else kept me from, gosh, only knows what would have happened over the last six years. So as a result of that and other things, um, I look for opportunities to attend funerals of people that I uh, respect, know, love. And uh, many, many times I've never had the privilege of meeting that person, but I'm friends with their spouse or their son or daughter or whatever the case may be. There was a situation a number of years ago where a guy who's a CIO of a corporation in Atlanta um, lost his mom. And he and his wife are both dear friends of mine, and uh, I had dinner with them two weeks ago. But anyway, they 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 um, he lost his mom, and I don't even know how I know or how I knew at the time. I think his wife may have posted something on Facebook that we're going to be out of town. They've lost his mom or something, but I didn't get an email from them saying um, uh, Dave lost his <laughs> Dave lost his mom, 
and uh, and uh, this, that, and the other. I just found out somehow. I don't know how. And uh, and so I decided to go. It was in Defuniac Springs, um, uh, Florida, right a little bit north of uh, Destin, about a three-hour drive. And I got up early that morning, drove down there. I think I had a sandwich. It was a one or two o'clock uh, 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 service, and uh, and and went to the funeral. And uh, I'm standing at the front, about to go in, and the funeral party family and friends came around the corner, and his wife, his wife saw me. We connected with our eyes, and she came immediately over to me. She's in tears. I'm quickly in tears, and she said one thing that be with me the rest of my life. She said, I knew you would be here. Mm. She had no idea I would be there. There was no reason in a normal business context to drive, you know, however many hours and, and take a day out of your life to attend a funeral. But it was important because I love those people and they are still, still friends, still occasionally clients, which is who cares, but, uh, but they're real people and I care about them. And, and, uh, and we've talked about that many times since then. And they were gracious to allow me to include that in this book, because the point is not what I did, but what any of us can do. We have people who are hurting with what happened with COVID and us being out of touch for so, so many years with the world and the situation it's in today, with people being murdered in downtown Atlanta yesterday or two days ago with what's happened all over this country with random shootings, with inflation, uh, drugs killing our children as it did mine, um, uh, all the things we got going on, everybody is hurting a little bit. And if we can be that person that gives a ray of hope to someone as people have given me a ray of hope from time to time, then we've done a damn good thing. And, and, and I think God honors that. And so, uh, that's one story from the book, and there's other stories. That's the most impactful story in the book to me as far as what we're called to do uh, as uh, cohabitants of the planet. I think it was a great story and a great word for everybody. I remember early in my journey of, of getting into to leadership podcasts, seeing one of our guests, uh, Andrew Faraka, had reframed the idea or the notion of physical uh, distancing instead of social distancing, because we had an opportunity to be more socially and spiritually connected than ever. And so this level of intentionality about how do we love others and serve others is such a salient point for anybody in leadership or wanting to build their influence as a force for good in the world. So I think it's, it's spot on. I also wanted to touch on your involvement in community service and how that's influenced your approach to leadership and networking, because I think that's been, you know, a very formative way in which you built community. So uh, can you help our listeners understand how that, that community service particularly has played into your uh, success over the years in those areas? I've been very, very fortunate, Jeff. I was born in a family of volunteers, and that's probably what helped track my entire life. Um, I can remember when I was eight or nine years old, my mom would sell uh, products uh, for her JCs. They weren't called JCs at that time because, of course, in the 50s and 60s, we treated women 
and we don't treat them as nearly as well as we should today. But nonetheless, in 1560s, they were J-sets. They weren't J-C's. Eventually, the J-C's and every other organization started treating women equally or a little more equally, which is a, a, a good road to go on. Anyway, she was always the number one salesperson every year for the money to raise, for selling products to raise money for the club. And so, uh, and yet my mom never sold a box. I would sell them. I should say, well, you want to help me with this? And just the joy of going and knocking on doors and saying, I've got a box of envelopes pre-addressed to the Columbus Gas Light, Columbus Waterworks, Columbus this, that, and the other. And it's only a dollar and it helps the J-Sets. Who's not going to give an eight-year-old kid standing at the front door a dollar? <laughs> I get $50 every time a Girl Scout comes by with cookies. But uh, anyway, and my mom would be the top salesperson. That joy of that experience just caused me to see the power of, of doing something for others and ended up being probably what gravitated me to the story from the bus trip. But I was in the junior J, I was in the junior JCs in high school. I was in Interact, which is the high school level of the Rotary Club. Um, I've been, I was involved in my church growing up and, and volunteering for things, but it's just been a progression Probably the most significant thing came in 1986 when I was very, very blessed to be chosen to go through the Leadership Atlanta program, a powerful group. And it's 53, 54 years old now, the oldest leadership program in the country. And now we got Leadership Cobb, DeKalb, New York, whatever the case may be. Anyway, I went through Leadership Atlanta and had the experience of having lunch at St. Luke's Soup Kitchen uh, with Bill Bowling, who was our speaker that day, and others. And I was in the hospitality industry, and I knew that we wasted food every single day. And it led to a series of you know, thoughts in my mind and, and, and playing scenario. And, and I was involved with a group of people, my Leadership Atlanta class and folks with the Georgia chapter of Meeting Planners International, now Meeting Professionals International. And we created something called Atlanta's Table. And basically, it became my life. I mean, I, I wasn't paying attention to my job near as much as I should have. And uh uh, but it became a thing. And then we, after I left that company, I took a year off and, uh, and and worked for Atlanta's Table without a salary. Basically, after we received a $5 million grant from UPS because of our success, I went from Winnipeg to, um, to uh, Boston, to D.C., to Denver, to Nashville, uh, Minneapolis, and we set up many um, uh, Atlanta tables. And we ended up with 150 around the world hundreds of me, at least a hundred million meals have been served because of that effort, a little small effort that grew out of leadership Atlanta. That put me in touch with some powerful people along the way. I was meeting mayors in every city, uh, a lot of the local leadership from the chamber and, and other places. And I think it helped create uh, some of the success I've had as a salesperson, not because I called on them and begged them for business, because they saw that I cared passionately about our community, because that's all we have is our community. I mean, whether the businesses are going well or not, this is where we live. This is where we educate our children. And by gosh, this is where we should invest part of our lives. And uh, so I would think that you know the beauty of having been in Leadership Atlanta and meeting some of those folks and then committing the time and energy to go and, and, and become an actual part of it, uh, it changed my life dramatically, and uh, and it was all a great joy, and uh, uh, it got me involved with the uh, a project called uh, we I helped get off the ground called uh, Hands On It uh, 
called Hospitality Helping Hands. It was a sub-program underneath uh, Michelle Nunn and the Hands on Atlanta. And later, I ended up getting an opportunity to serve on the board of, uh, of ambassadors for the Carter Center. I still serve there today. And, and just, you know, when you put yourself out and you're willing to do the work, not just get your name on a list so everybody can think you're a big deal, but you're willing to commit and time and energy and what financial resources you may or may not have, um, it opens doors for you. I would not suggest anyone do that just for what they're going to get out of it, but do it because it's important. When you give, if you give expecting something in return, that's not a gift. That's a bribe or a down payment on something in the future. When you give expecting nothing in return, you always win. And you're never disappointed when someone doesn't do what you might have thought they should have done as based upon what you did for them. <clears throat> That's the worst thing you can be. And I have been in that boat a few times where I did something for someone so wonderful, I maybe changed their life. And I asked them to thimble full of stuff uh, at some point in the time. And they said, yeah, Ricky, I appreciate you and everything, but I I'm just too busy. It was hard for me to say, but what about that time? When you do that, you lost. The game is over. You lost. You lost that relationship and you lost part of your dignity and integrity because you you, you wanted to be transactional rather than being loving and caring and, and empathetic for someone else's situation. It's such a powerful, powerful point that I think everybody should listen back to that maybe isn't volunteering. The first thing you focused on was the joy it brought you by purely giving to give, by serving to serve and loving others in that way. Uh, but the end result of what happened, not because of why you did it, you know, your why was was simply to, to serve because of the joy that it, it brought you and the way that, you know, you feel a, a sense of commitment to why you were created. Uh, but, you know, the fact that so many doors have opened as a result, because, you know, being a good active citizen in your community and caring deeply about the benefit of all is what we're put on this earth to do on this side of heaven. And if we're not out there creating a better community for one another and uh, lifting the tides of, you know, economic development and inclusion and, and providing a more equitable and resourceful community, then I think we're really missing the mark. And, and what a great opportunity it is to get to know other wonderful leaders in our community who value the same things. And these are exactly the types of people you would want to do business with anyways, if the opportunity presented itself. And so thank you, Ricky, for, for sharing that, because I think that's such a such an important point. So I want to kind of land the plane here. Uh, you mentioned the importance of always continuing to, to learn and develop kind of your networking and, and leadership. Can you share any specific examples of how you've continued to learn and grow in your career as a, as a lifelong learner? Um, when you ever think that you know everything you need to know and you have no reason to learn, get your spouse or a good friend or a colleague to call Patterson's Funeral Home, have them come pick you up because you're dead. You just don't know it yet. If you're not continuing learning how to do something new and in a different way, you're stagnant and you're not going to grow. And a stagnant body of water, as in the Dead Sea, there is no life in the Dead Sea. So I have always been a learner. 
which would contradict the words from any teacher who's ever sat in front of me in a classroom. I was the worst student. I got through high school because I went to summer school three years in a row. I did not care about dissecting a frog. Frogs had never done anything to me. I didn't, you know, I, all the things that people want to learn, I really didn't have any interest because my interest was more on things of the world. When I was in um, uh, high school, I had a weekly subscription to Newsweek, Time, and U.S. News and World Reports. I knew what Haile Selassie was doing in Ethiopia. I did not know anything from math or trigonometry or whatever the case might be. And I have not used any trigonometry lately, as in 70 years lately. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, I get up every single morning and begin reading. And before I have probably showered many days, uh, I've read the Atlanta Business Chronicle, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the New York Times, and the Washington uh, Post. Do I read it word for word in every single article? I wouldn't get to work till 11 o'clock at night. I skim it for articles and things that would be of interest to my clients, my family, or my friends. Uh, Tom Peters said a long time ago, be, ex- be distinct or be extinct. You can be distinct when you turn around and provide knowledge to someone in your circle of influence. You know, I have had people call me, write me, tell me um, after we sat at a table of 10 at a luncheon or a banquet or whatever the case might be. They say something you mentioned about that article you saw in the Journal Constitution or, or the Atlanta Business Chronicle changed my life. It changed the way we're doing business. And I went back and read it and found three other articles, et cetera, et cetera. Also reading books, not only reading books, but giving books. A book is the greatest gift you'll ever give another human being. I read a lot. I'm right in the middle of a Cap Frager, which is a, a pseudonym, but anyway, Finding the Way, about uh, a third of the way through. I just started Jeff Hillemeyer's, a local Atlanta, well, both at local Atlanta guys, The Culture Turnaround. Great book. I'm, I'm having fun in that one. Uh, and then every single day, as I say, uh, not only do I read it online, but I've got a, a printed subscription to the uh, Atlanta Business Chronicle, and I have had it since 1980 when they were up at the Century Center Parkway. So uh, I'm a voracious reader because you find, number one, I enjoy the knowledge, but number two, I enjoy sharing the knowledge and trying to help someone else uh, on, on their life. And it could be about, I mean, it could be music. I, 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 I love music. It could be something musical that someone had been keeping up with the Ed Sheeran uh, uh, lawsuit about him stealing some words out of uh, some uh progressions or, or chords out of a Marvin Gaye tune. Um, uh, but it could be about something going on with uh, presidential politics, or it could be something going on with the local venture community. You know, I great, saw a great article yesterday on the godfather of angel investing, Sig Mosley. I read it twice. It was so impactful. I love Sig Mosley, and everybody else does as well. But knowledge is what you got to do. I hope the day that the good Lord brings me to, to home It will be a day that I learn something new that day before uh, I make my transition to the Father's house. Well, Ricky, it's always such a blessing to be with you. We'll be including uh, in our show notes links to your book, uh, other resources to learn more about you and some of the resources you mentioned. Uh, You're always such a wealth of knowledge, and, and I really appreciate knowing you. We've been with Ricky Steele, author of The Heart of Networking, and the third edition recently was released and the Chief Development Officer of Talent 360 Solutions. Ricky, thank you again. Thank you so much, and thank you, Q. 
Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.